los luchadores. Classica. This is the premiere episode that we will be doing along with Lucha World. I am Vandal Drummond, the freak, and I am with uh, the creator of Lucha World, uh, the president, residing in Walnut Kills, California, Frito Esparza. I just realized we should have mentioned this in the last podcast. But oh well, it's it all comes into the hindsight is twenty twenty. It's all going to be in the same place. Yeah, so it's even like, if the yeah. hindsight was just ten minutes yeah, ago, yeah. it's still twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. So this show is going to be a little bit more about older, looking back at some of the past in Lucha Libre, going back to like when it first started, all the way. Well, not from the first start, but like the thirties all the way forward. Yes, I'm sure there'll be some <clears throat> older stuff also. But we don't want to drown you out with like a lot of older stuff all at once. Absolutely. So we're going to mix it in a little bit. Yeah, we, yeah. what we want to do, what we feel will, feel will make it more interesting is if we hit a lot of different eras of Lucha Libre. So I know some people you know, would love to hear about the 90s when AAA was formed and started the war with CMLL when luchadores were going to WCW and then there's folks like myself who are really fascinated with the dawning of uh, CMLL in 1933 yeah, it was that's right it was <laughs> let's just say the Lutheroth family you should have just you should have just stuck like Chris Zellner and just call it EMLL throughout <laughs> <laughs> I could do that yeah <laughs> But yeah, you know, there's there's a fascinating story about how a wrestling promotion was formed, yeah, and how and there's a lot of good stuff in between UWA, absolutely. the '80s with the trios, the famed trios, El Santo. There's so much stuff you could talk about. The movies, yeah. There's like a that. really diverse collection. Kurt is of gonna subjects. Kurt is gonna watch every single Lucha movie ever created. That'd be a great goal. <laughs> <laughs> I never get tired of yes. Santo movies, and I, I think I'm probably the 
No, I'm probably not the only person who has watched the movie La Ultima Lucha. I watched five uh, times at least. I watched uh, a Santo movie, not watched it, but like the end of it before. Uh, it, I think they aired one before the la- when when um, CML was still on um, Lucha on Azteca. Yes, but this was like maybe a year before it, it ended, uh, and they had a Santo movie on. I think it was some they they did some tribute show for it was a tribute day for Santo or something. Oh. Uh, that's right, because they have uh, they Santo had, Marathon. Yeah, and then they had Santo, and they had Lucha, and then they had Santo afterwards. I love, because I, I love how there are channels occasionally, the way uh, some channels have Twilight Zone marathons all yeah. day. On a holiday, there are Santo marathons. Yeah, so, so I tune in like 10 minutes before the show starts, and it's not, because, you know, um, Azteca sometimes would start CML earlier. They would have this habit. This was, So this must have been like, like two years ago when this happened. And so they're showing the Santo movie, and it's like towards the end where they're all fighting. Yes. And it's just like nonstop guys constantly getting back up to fight Santo. Yes. And Santo, yes. And I think it was somebody. I think it was Blue. De- I don't think it was Blue Demon. It was another actor, and then um, somebody else. But it was just Santo constantly knocking them down. The guy was gonna get back up, and it was like, man, when is this gonna end, dude? Just knock them down. And, and then that was the end. All, that all... was the end. Like they all finally stayed down, and they're like, oh, are you? <laughs> the police arrive. And Santo is like, okay, and then they leave. And it's like, dude, when? how long is this? And I, I love how there are all these guys just in plain clothes, but the way they're falling, you all know they're luchadors. Even if yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Are. <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the guys I knew, because he was a luchador that was kind of known, because they had a lot of guys, but it was a known guy. Well, the Vianos got their name from their father, Ray Medosa, being the villain the vi- in Los Vianos del Ring. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. See, you learn something now in Lucha Classica. <laughs> exactly. And and the scary part is you you learned it from me. Yes. Well, that that's what they expect to learn all this stuff. From. Exactly. You're gonna well, you're yeah. gonna learn some of the wackier stuff from me probably. Yeah, and you know some of these shows will be like featured on like art will will focus more on like one specific. If there's like maybe like the Viano three, his final run in um his final big run in in, in CMLL when he feuded with Atlantis because there's a lot that happened not just not just the big everybody remembers the Viano three Atlantis mask match from 2000. But there was a lot that came before that. The light heavyweight title was involved. Um, Super Astro's mask was involved. So there was a lot that came in between. And and also there was also the 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 WCW uh, WWE feud war at that time. Yes, because that's when the Vianos actually returned to CML when that feud was going on. They that's were right. brought in. That's right. They were brought in, and that's really where. Because I think the Atlantis Viano three feud kind of started a little bit before that. Except people forget that that. You know, you, you kind of look back at it and it's not... Yes. And you just think of the big match and that's it. Well, and I uh, I think one of the best examples I heard is uh, hearing an interview with Bruno Sammartino on uh, Brian and Dave's show a few years back where he talked about his famous cage match with Stan Hansen and how it was just him basically just squashing Stan Hansen in a really short match and... You know, people would see it and they say, "Well, that wasn't any big deal." But that's not the whole story. The story, be- the whole feud begins with the whole program. Yeah. And uh, a lot of matches, I think people might watch and, and say, "Oh, I thought this was supposed to be a classic match." And I'm saying, "Well, yeah, but if you saw the feud from its conception, yeah, you know, it was a bigger deal." Yeah. So this week's show, we're basically going to focus on. You're going to talk about Juarez Lucha in the '30s. Yes. I think. I, 
I was going to talk about, well, we were going to talk about the WCW Luchadors because I didn't want to go all the way back to something and have you guys completely right. confused because you you would have been telling us, I don't know who this person is or who's this. I figured I would start with something that was easier to, to talk about, WCW Luchadors. That's something you also watched. Mm-hmm. You knew you were you were involved in hearing about the, the stories of leading up to that stuff, you know, with AAA and all that. And then you're going to end with talking about a Titanes that ring. Yes. Luchador. I'm hoping you remember because <laughs> then, then we could just, that's why I said at the end because then yeah. that could, if you forget, then then we could also not do talk about it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I, I think the chief focus we've said here today will be the WC. Yeah, yeah, because there was a lot. And, well, you know, we're, we're going to try to, we're, we, we just don't want to do one subject or one time era from beginning to end. We want to break it up a little. Yeah, because that was the thing with the WCW Luchadors. I was telling Kurt when I was doing um, the write-up for the show, I kept finding more and more information. Because, you know, all of us just assumed that it was Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, and Conan, and Hoovy and Psychosis, the five guys who got a lot of pushes. But it's like there's a lot of stuff that happened with the other guys involved. And then there's a lot of other stuff that happened, like the... The, the Ultimo Dragon joining the promotion and Vampiro and and the Toriumon guys were there briefly and then yes. the the Lucha Festival the legendary that you guys have heard about on our on our podcast with Superboy where he talked about being there Superboy being at one, on a show and Blitzkrieg really being the last luchador although he really wasn't a luchador he wasn't really like he was a luchador based on because that's the style that he's associated with yeah, I, but I think, he was I think, a white guy. Yes. Think, yeah, he, he was good. Yeah, he, yeah. he was good, and uh, um, he was a nice guy too. But uh, I think Dave Meltzer put it best when they had a tryout match. Was it in Minnesota? I want to say. Yeah. Where it was I think Felino and Superboy and Blitzkrieg and somebody else who was another luchador. I think it was. Like, yeah. It might have been Moscow. I think it was Moscow. Moscow yeah. Del Merced. Yeah. But I never forget what David said. You know, so so in typical WCW wisdom they signed the luchador with the least experience well you know the thing was they stopped blitzkrieg um six months prior to that really they did a tryout a dark match in um somewhere in california mm-hmm. i think it might have been oakland where it was the revolution pro guys with uh oh, ron ron oh, rivera ron american rivera. Wi- american wild child super dragon and i think rising sun might have been one of the other guys oh, and yes. blitzkrieg was in there yes yeah so you want to talk, start with Juarez Lucha? When you said Juarez Lucha, I'm like, man, I was like, damn, we're gonna talk about Eddie Guerrero even more than I was already gonna talk about. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and and Ari Romero and all this stuff, and and then Kurt's like 1930s Juarez Lucha, yeah, I'm like we're holy talking shit, about Fredo's hometown, <laughs> not my hometown. <laughs> oh, actually, we were. It wasn't Juarez. We were gonna talk about El Paso. El yes, Paso. El Paso. That's what I meant to say. El yes. Paso. Yeah. And the reason that is my old home. Yeah, I was gonna say town. this is your stomping grounds. And the reason Juarez too, I'll I'll, I'll consider Juarez. Exactly. I dis well, I disassociated myself from Juarez when Pagano started wrestling. <laughs> Although I heard he, I've heard him interviewed and he seems like a really nice guy, so I can't really hate on him too much. Yeah, and, and you know, just a side note, I yeah, I never thrilled Lucha Classica. Lucha Classica becomes us talking about Pagano. It'll become Lucha World. Yes, part two. Part two. No, part. I'm just really curious. Is does does he get over with the? Yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. he's. That's why he's a headline. Well, it's like I said before. If you get over, you know, I'm. Yeah. I'm from again going back to Texas. I'm from uh, the Whisker Savage school of thought, where Whisker Savage was a guy who uh, wrestled for Moore Siegel in Houston, Texas, and from all accounts, 
knew a few holds at most, but his gimmick was so over that he outdrew Luthez and all the world champions. You know people are taking drinks right now because they're playing the whisk you mentioning the whisker savage. And I'm story. gonna keep mentioning him because <laughs> I think I think he's the I think he's the gold standard, the groundbreaker for wrestlers well, it's like I tell you, I can't, who thrive thoroughly on a gimmick. I can't listen to Brian Lash show because I'd be drunk playing the Dr. Jerry Grant. <laughs> <laughs> I have another drinking game. Me, me saying something repetitive? No, no, take TV wrestling interview, American TV wrestling interviews uh, from the 1970s on. And every time somebody grabs the mic and says, let me, t- let me tell you <laughs> yes, one thing, yes. <laughs> you take a drink. Yes. The trouble is, by the time one show is over, yes. you're all going to be flat on the floor. I just saw Ernie Ladd say that, like on a on a somebody posted a video, and it was, yes, it was yes, let me tell yes, you something. Like, yes, I think he just said like laddie though, or like you know the one of those kiddish type of terms. That... I, I think it'd be refreshing if, an, if a wrestler was a bit of a gentleman said, "Will you allow me to tell you something?" <laughs> yes. You know, like a Lord Blears yeah. type with a monocle. Yes. I don't want to be rude, so would you allow me to tell you this? So uh, the El Paso Lucha stuff, where did you find it? Like, was it? Well, uh, I've been doing a lot of research on the first heavyweight star for Salvador Luteroth, who was Charo Aguayo. Yeah. Real name Francisco Aguayo. You wrote an article that's posted on Lucha World, too. That's right. He... Yeah. I am to this day I am shocked that nobody has like especially lucha historians in Mexico have not done more footwork on his life story because it's a very fascinating one and I think I've only I've only I think I've touched some of the more ev- you know eventful outside of Mexico. Yeah, outside of Mexico. Yeah. What you know my my thought is he is generally regarded as the first heavyweight star in Mexico. And, you know, while that is what he's best known for, this guy was a huge star in the Southwest from the 1930s, uh, well into the 40s. And then, for unknown reasons, he changed his name to Don Cortez, moved to Tennessee, worked for Nick Goulas, lived the rest of his life there. And uh, reading between the lines, he would go back and forth from being like, a mid-card wrestler to a referee, but a referee who had a name behind him. Everybody knew him. In fact, on uh, a recent uh, 605 Super podcast, I'm giving a shameless plug to Brian Last's show right here, they played a song that uh, I think it was Len Rossi sung about like wrestling heaven. Uh And the first group of wrestlers he mentions who are no longer with us, he includes Don Cortez on that list. So this was a guy who was very respected in the wrestling community, with no doubt. And uh, the more I learned about him, the more I became focused on his beginnings. Uh, he was a big draw mostly in Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. And uh, wrestling was hot in all those places. Yeah. Then I started noticing... Most of the shows he wrestled on in El Paso, in fact, I think all of them, you'd see the promoter's name, which was Joe McIntosh. And, uh, well, well, first, uh, the name rang a bell just for an idiotic reason, because he's saying, McIntosh, I swear I heard that name in wrestling, and, oh yeah, Jay McIntosh, our friend Whiskey Fist McIntosh. (laughs) 
no relation, I, I yeah. assume. Yeah, uh, and if there is a relation, then then uh, Whiskey Fisks. We never get, told you. <laughs> yeah, he never told her. He doesn't know, and we be we got to get whiskey fists on if that's the case, which would be fun in itself. Yeah. Um, So, as I was doing more research, it sounds like John McIntosh was the first one to promote a territory in the El Paso area. And uh, this... Did it expand to Juarez? I'm guessing that's what he was doing also. Well... I don't know if he promoted shows in Wars. That's what I want to look into. In fact, this segment's going to be a, a quick one only because... You're still researching. Yeah, only in the last couple of weeks have I really... Has my interest peaked on the promoter himself. And it seems like the Texas area was more his doing. But it's interesting because he's also heavily involved in the boxing uh, in, promotion in, business too. In Texas. And at some point, it seems that he dropped the boxing and promoted wrestling up until the 1940s when he sold his territory and uh, moved to California, Southern California, as oh, a matter wow. of fact. Yeah, that seems to be the trend for El yes. Paso. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you live in El Paso for 10 years, and it's like, I got to go somewhere else. Exactly. You move to Southern exactly. California. And he uh, lived out his days until his, uh, his passing. He lived a pretty good long life. He passed away in 1968. But one of the fascinating tidbits I did pick up is I, um, on the newspaper archive sites that I've been hitting, his name comes up a lot. But if you just Google him, his name comes up for one reason. And apparently it was his shows that inspired, inspired Salvador Luteroth yeah. to begin promoting wrestling. And so indirectly... Yeah, because the story the story goes that Luter, Luter, Salvador Lutero traveled to Texas. Yes, and on a stop to between El Paso and Juarez, he saw um, wrestling, and that's when he he brought it to um, Mex- he he wanted to do that too in Mexico City. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what happened. And uh, Francisco Aguayo wrestled for McIntosh the same time he was wrestling for uh, Salvador Lutero. He was yeah. like. You know, I I hope they weren't road trips because I mean long. not just not just uh, wars because he was ev- everywhere in Mexico. Yeah, but he was working both territories at the same time. And the another reason Macintosh might be important to the dawning of lucha libre was it was you know it was pretty already pretty customary around that time for promoters to try to get one big star to draw. Maybe the uh, the local Italian community, the, yeah. the Latino community, but while he primarily used a lot of you know gringos, uh, Francisco Aguayo wasn't the only lucha style star that he molded. Um, I guess I wouldn't call this guy a star; more of a journeyman. I think it was Luis Mayo. Uh, who was a went on to be a journeyman both in lucha libre and on the American scene? Um, another lucha libre legend is a guy called Walter Achu, and yeah, A C H I U. Yeah. And in America, whenever he was billed, his nickname was Sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> 
but he was a, a person of Chinese descent who was born in Mexico, and uh, I think he he first got his start with John Macintosh. Macintosh also used as one of his right-hand men a man who is respected as a martial artist and a pretty serious shooter named Madi Matsuda from Japan. Oh, wow. And uh, Matsuda pretty much made his home in the, uh, the El Paso area um, until he died, which unfortunately was too soon. He, I think he, I can't remember, he had an illness in his 30s, oh. I believe. But uh, from what I read, it was like Matsuda and Macintosh who really molded Francisco Aguayo as a wrestler. Oh, wow. Because Aguayo also dabbled in boxing, which I don't think he was that good at. But, uh, you know, one of his main influences was Matsuda, who I believe is the guy who taught him to shoot. And Aguayo, by almost every account I've read, is... Uh, somebody who, who could put put the fear of God into you if you yeah. messed with him. But um, so the reason uh, that I want to kind of do a lot of stuff on the old El Paso territory is it is indirectly the creation of uh, the Luderoth Empire. Yeah. Uh, or EMLL or CMLL or whatever. La Empresa, if you like. La Serie Estable. Yes. And, and so actually I'll probably wind it up here uh, because like I said, I, my search is in its infancy and it might be a bit of a frustrating search because most of what is written him is just that he inspired Luteroth. Yeah, that's basically it. But it's a really, uh, he sounds like he was a presence in the El Paso territory even before he got involved in boxing and wrestling. I, I see his name as far as running different kind of businesses in the area around 1910. So it's a little sketchy. So he's been around for a while. Yeah, he might have been, in fact, he might have even been involved. But So I got my homework to do on that. And uh, Well, you know, the other thing is like a lot of the Lucha magazines, they might have more stuff on this, these guys. But you know how they would only cut a little bit of, yeah. they give you like a little bit. Well, they, wouldn't, a, they wouldn't write a whole article, it's just like a little tidbit. Exactly. Hey, like, although, although it's funny because I remember sometimes I would read stuff I did find a few articles on Aguayo in uh, Boxy Lucha, but they kind of focused a little more on him supposedly being in Pancho Villa's regime. Yeah. Which, uh, it could be true, I'd, or, or it might have been a way to kind of get him over with the Mexican fans, because even though he was born in Sonora, it's pretty clear he grew up in the States. Yeah. As did several of Macintosh's Latino stars. How, how many people do you figure think Charo Guayo is like Perro Guayo's father? Oh, I've heard, I've heard it so many times. I remember like people. Like, I've heard wrestlers. Perro? I've like, heard Luke yeah, stories. Yeah, and it's like, no, he's not. They're not related. Yeah, no, no relation. Just sheer coincidence. <laughs> yeah, they just have the same last name, Aguayo. It's like it's like when uh, the Guerrero family. And Ultimo Girl, like, is he is he related? And I was like, no, of course not. Oh, the first <laughs> like, the first I remember time. somebody asked me that once. I'm like, dude, of course not. This dude has a mask. He's the name is Ultimo Girl because it's a, a a wrestling name like um, Ulti- Last Warrior, Ultimate Warrior, whatever. Oh, same. A lot of people yeah, seem so like, shocked when they found that. Ultimo uh, Girl got that. that too. They they were shocked that Ringo and Cachorro Mendoza was not related to Ray Mendoza. <laughs> and I said, you got to understand. Hey. I'm Kurt Brown, but I'm not related well, to Jim's Jerry though. Brown. Remember when we talked to Ronnie Mendoza? 
when he was saying that he had seen that people thought he was trying yes, to like live yes. off of the Mendoza names. Like it's he's like he's like they're, he's like they're not even Mendozas, they're Diaz. <laughs> like the real name. I, I, he already had it. I was like, dude, he already has it like down to like what he was gonna say and everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and funny, I, it's, it's funny. I found several different wrestling promoters early in the century whose names happened to be McMahon, but I don't think they had any relation yeah, or yeah. connection. You know, it's just. It's a small world, folks. Yeah, so like, I guess we could talk about the next thing. So, yes, um, I guess when we, when we first thought about doing the show, we wanted to talk about everything. So I figured easiest way to get people into older lucha is to talk about something that everybody, ninety percent of people who watch lucha, can either have I actually either seen. Or they can actually find online, absolutely, and that is WCW and the Luchadors. Because I mean, as much as as much as everybody likes to put down WCW, all the all the bad things they did, mm-hmm. they did do something that I don't even think WW has ever been able to do, and that's actually feature Luchadors. And you know, you could say they were held down and everything, but there was mm-hmm. so much television, WCW TV at the time that you could tune in on a Nitro, a Thunder, or a WCW Saturday Night, a Pro main event how i don't even know there's i think there was another wcw show that on a weekend that you know uh, what was that when um in the early in the morning 6 a.m that was pro wasn't it oh, what was 6, 6 a.m remember the 6 a.m one i don't remember that because i usually went to bed at 3 a.m yeah but remember I, I when we first thought i would tell you i would watch at 6 a.m yes yes i remember okay i remember you so you could about get it. all these shows and yeah. you, you could either get you would get a lucha match on there between from 95 through i think 99 but you know wcw even before that um, I think back when they did the early '90s, they did that um, Pat O'Connor Memorial Cup. Remember that yes, tag team tournament? Yes. They had Conan at, teaming up with Rey Mysterio. I remember that very well. Senior representing Mexico. In fact, that was when I first knew Conan, and I remember Pat Hood, Steve Gerber, and I watching just so jazz. And then getting Conan. just what was it? Rey Mysterio hurt himself first. I think so because they got put over in the first match. Yeah, and, and but Rey Mysterio they, got hurt in that match. Yes, yes. And then Conan got hurt in the second match, right? <laughs> yes. I think he got hurt in the second match. So it was like it just it was a total uh, a flop of a, yeah. a performance. But a Conan stuck around and did more singles matches, and that's actually where he met Love Machine Art Bar, Norm, right. Norman Smiley. I think Chris Adams. I think he had already known. Actually, I think that might have been where he met. But I think Chris Adams was already in Mexico like long. Oh, a yeah, long time ago. Yeah, he was there in the early eighties. Well, yeah. No, it was no, our no, right. Art bar, right. Art bar, but not in the tournament. Yeah. Art bar was there around that time doing mm-hmm. the Beetlejuice. Yes, he was the juicer. And it's and, amazing they met because the uh, the gimmick came and went so fast. Yeah, but it was in between that time, and of mm-hmm. course he he does know he. That's when he met Norman Smiley at that mm-hmm. time. Um, but that's when they first happened, and you thought, oh, maybe they're going to use luchadors. But actually, Conan never made never appeared. I think he appeared maybe once or twice. But he was doing so well in, in Mexico, he didn't continue in the... And he had actually worked out a deal with WWE around that time also, I think. And around that time... With Max, the Max Moon character. Yeah, and, and not long before that was when Eddie Guerrero had that famous match with, with Terry, Terry Funk. Terry Funk, yeah. And... I just remember, I remember tuning in... I had seen Eddie Guerrero up and when he wrestled in Juarez. Mm-hmm. And one day, because it was the, Eddie, the Terry Funk, that was a great great storyline where he would just constantly every week complain about not being in the top 10 because he wanted to face Ric Flair and he would constantly wrestle a jobber although the jobbers they would give him were really good workers mm-hmm. like he was actually and he would give them offense oh in, in fact and the Eddie Guerrero match happened and I was like holy shit that's Eddie Guerrero how is he on the show and he actually got a ton of offense he on got Terry a ton Punk. of offense and something funny is uh, 
Meltzer told me that he talked to Terry Funk like the, a few days after that match, and he started talking what an awesome series of arm drags Eddie Guerrero could do. Yeah. And he said, Funk said, no way, I wish I had known that. I would have had him do that to me. I mean, Funk was... <laughs> should have gone to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we would have got plenty of arm drags. That's basically oh, totally, totally. all they, they... There's some matches where that's all they do. Like, it's like non-stop arm drags. <laughs> yeah. <But it's, laughs> yeah. It, it is a cool move if you haven't seen it. I mean, I'm sure American fans, if they started seeing... Terry Funk get whipped whipped with an arm drag over and over. Yeah, they'd be like, what's going on? Although, Terry Funk would have made it work. Oh, he would have made it look great. And you know, it's weird, because I think from that point, when Conan was there with Rey Mysterio Mm -hmm. Sr., there was really nothing after that. I think for a couple of years, it was no. it, they had the relationship with Japan, with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they did stuff with New Japan, but you didn't have that all, the luchadors, for a, a long time. And it wasn't until... Um, Really, 1994 when when worlds collide, they yes. co-promoted with um with AAA mm-hmm. Scholar and all that, and I kind of that just seemed like one of those odd things that happened. I mean, it was it was odd, and I remember there was a chance they would have come earlier, but I do remember when I worked with Scholar, mm-hmm. the first two shows he promoted in this area is he promoted one at the Sports Arena. Uh, in, in Los Angeles, and then the sports arena in San Diego, and he. Uh, Those were with DDP, right? Was when he showed up. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and the random appearance of DDP. Jake Roberts. Well, that's what that's what J- DDP's role was, right? Yeah, he was exactly. like the handler. Like I don't even sure. think he was actually wrestling. No, he wasn't wrestling no. at the time because I think he started wrestling like a, a year later. Or, yeah, I think. Uh, but at the San Diego show, Scholar wanted to give Terry Funk, I think it was like a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, well-intentioned, but, I mean, the Lucha fans in San Diego, I don't think really was aware of Terry Funk yeah. that much. Uh, and I remember, I think it was about a week after that, Scholar called me. It was, he was just enraged because... Funk was watching all the luchadores, and apparently he was talking to people in WCW saying, there's some really good workers here. Oh, yeah, because Terry Funk was in WCW at the time. Like, he was part of that uh, whole, um, he was with the stud stable, wasn't yes. he? Doing the stud, feuding with Dusty Rhodes and Dusty yes. Rhodes. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how Scholar got wind of it, but, oh, he was... <laughs> He was mad. <laughs> uh, Scholar was a good guy, but <laughs> I can't resist saying this part. He, he, he said, Terry Funk must be punished. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so when I wrestled on that one, one you know, second match on uh, the sports arena show where I teamed with Spicoli against Super Tope Boy and Capitan Oro, <laughs> Dan, Dan Farron and Larry Doyle brought a sign saying Vandal Drummond must be punished tonight. <laughs> Did you, ever, did you didn't talk to Terry Funk about that or anything? Never no, asked him. Never. I, I, if I saw him and had some time, I'd love to yeah. ask about that. Uh, and I, it was never. So was that the first time you heard about the WCW's? Well, it wasn't WCW's interest. It was more Terry Funk telling them. About yeah, he was kind of planting the seed. It yeah. wasn't for another year um, until something happened. Until things started going in motion, I don't know if he had anything to do with it at that. Point. Yeah, by that, but I think that was more Bischoff trying to find more stuff to... I think so, too. Because, I mean, that that just seemed like one of the most random, like, appear, appear uh, things that happened, because... 
And you know, it was weird because you would think after that happened, that show was huge. But I was telling some people that they the the, the show that actually they focused more on was the Starcade. Remember, they were doing a lot of advertising more yes. for the Starcade show, which had like so much a weaker lineup mm-hmm. than this. And this show was one of those shows that everybody talks about, one of the greatest pay per views of all time. And then from there, really, WCW didn't add anybody from that group. It That's was true. It was actually ECW that added Paul Heyman. Absolutely. Paul Heyman was the one that watched it. I think he watched it or somebody told him about it. And, and he, Well, in fact, I remember, I believe it was in the Wrestling Torch where I think Wade Keller interviewed Heyman. And when Skuller started, you know, from the first couple of shows in L.A. area, um, oh, I remember, I wish I could remember exactly what it was uh, Paul Heyman said in the interview, but he he was clearly fascinated with just how well the Luchadors could yeah. draw. And I think, I mean, let's, let's face it, I mean, Paul Heyman is a great wrestling mind. Yeah. I mean... Plus, I think he's also open-minded. Like, if he respects your opinion... Absolutely, I yeah. think he's... Like, if you tell him, hey, this guy's good, you should give him a shot, he'll give him a shot, you know? If he yeah. sucks, then he moves on. Or he's, he sees something in the person. Well, in fact, one of the reasons I was <laughs> so fascinated with Macintosh is traditionally American promoters, they might want a, a token uh, ethnic star of some kind, yeah. but they generally scoff We at, see We see that now with WWE. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. We could go on a tangent about yeah. that. We will sometime, but not now. But yeah. we will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So get back to it. But because um, I remember I remember being very excited. It was when ECW was really take, taking Cause off. Because they, they, they brought in Eddie and those guys. Like, obviously, and, they, and I think Eddie was more uh, a New Japan than anything. Yes. Like, I think that was more about it. Cause they, they, he brought in Malenko, Benoit, all those guys. And when when they brought in Seacosis and Rey Mysterio... Rey Mysterio. Uh, one there was that two out of three Falls match was which was a great blend of lucha and and the hardcore that yeah people in ECW like I mean not hardcore as in blood and guts but using just a, and, a quality match yeah a really quality match uh, and uh, you know they pushed super crazy who was a lot of fun to watch that was years later though yeah but it's like you know, I remember on that first pay per view. Believe it or not, that was the first time I ever saw either Super Crazy or Tajiri. I had, really, I had never seen them before and thought this will be interesting. And yeah, uh, it was the best. That was like in ninety eight. Was it ninety eight or ninety yes, seven? That or ninety seven? Ninety eight. That was. Like, I want to say ninety seven. Yeah. 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 Well, but, you know, but the point is, Heyman had an open mind. Where do you well, even like Super Crazy? Who knew who he was? Like yes. You're talking about Rey Mysterio and Psychosis. Those yes. guys were already known, not just in... Because, I mean, not only were they known in, in, in AAA, but they had actually started getting bookings in Japan. They were in the, the Super J Cup. Remember, they mm-hmm. were in the, that, that special match. They were in the war promotion. And then, obviously, in ECW. But, like, Super Crazy, I mean, what was he doing before that? Like, he wasn't really... Exactly. And, yeah. you know, can you think of any... He other... wasn't Super... He, I think he might have been... I think he made WWTV at that time. Oh, when they were doing... When they were the Vipers, when he was with the Vipers and all that. Okay. I think he did. I didn't, I didn't realize he was yeah. part of that. Mm. Man, Kurt, you shouldn't be doing Lucha Classica. I'm not <laughs> sure. This is, this is first, Kurt's first and final appearance That's on the right. Lucha... No, I... I He'll actually... be replaced by Dr. Lucha. I, I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> people, people, Kurt, the people don't want me to replace 
you with Dr. Lucha because they're like they're saying they'll stop doing podcasts <laughs> I'm like dude come on uh, yeah but back to that um, I think that I think that the fact that they went to ECW kind of opened the eyes to Bischoff and mm-hmm. WCW and plus also what helped w, what helped them was that w, um, Bischoff was going to start Monday Nitro, Nitro. Mm-hmm. really that was the thing that, that yes if, if not for Nitro I don't think those guys would have been there because I think that's that's really he needed like diverse a diverse a completely different show to what WWE was mm-hmm. and what better than just bring in the, the collection of the the, te- the level of talent that was available that wasn't in WWE because WWE wasn't bringing in a lot of people at that time they weren't and and any well just any to, small just, wrestler any small wrestler they weren't bringing absolutely. in absolutely yeah and see that's where Heyman had a really open mind. I mean, not only could he take a wrestler who had no color, he knew how to yeah, how to that, make somebody look colorful. And could you imagine any other promoter pushing? Maybe they'd use super crazy on the lower rung. Yeah, really push. You're them. sticking to the super crazy. This is like these years later, dude. I know it's years later. <laughs> He's not but, even the but, WCW no, 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 luchador. No, the reason I'm using that as an example is just. Just that Heyman yeah, yeah, was I know. unique. Is that you take a luchador seriously, yeah. where other, where a lot of promoters say, "Oh, he's just another Mexican." Yeah, and that's that's actually an understatement, a polite way of saying what a lot of promoters. Yeah, say. and even like with WCW, I think you viewed it. A lot of people viewed it that way. That it's mm-hmm. like just Absolutely. a bunch of Mexicans on the show. Because I even remember, like, and I even admit, I thought that they brought in too many guys at once. Mm-hmm. But now, when you think about it, it's like they had so much television. It wasn't that they brought in too many guys; it's that they had so much, so much television and did nothing with these guys. Yes, they did nothing Amen. with these guys. Like Amen. these guys were on TV and they were doing nothing, just losing every single, getting squashed by big by the giant, who's now Big Show. Absolutely, became more. Oh, known that as Lucha big Battle Show. Royal where Luch- he did a run in. Yeah, was- the, the 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 matches where they would have a really good singles match, and what would happen? They would turn it into the small screen, and the bigger screen was <laughs> yes. The bigger yes. screen was Hulk Hogan showing up, <laughs> stepping out of a limousine because yeah. he just arrived. Oh my God, what is he gonna do? And this is before the NWO. This was like Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. when he was still in the in the red and yellow, or when Jimmy Hart and the, and the Dungeon of Doom would show up. It's like oh my God, how exciting is this? They're showing up. <laughs> It's a limo excitement. Meanwhile, you the big screen was that, and the smaller screen was Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko busting out every single spot they could come up with, and and, and you're not even getting that. I used to hate that stuff. Oh, I did too. Yeah, I so did too. so Eddie Guerrero was the first one that showed up in WCW in the August of 1995. He came in with Benoit, Dean Malenko, and I I think it was just them three, right? I believe. I think so. Jerry Lynn might have been the fourth one. Like I said, but Jerry Lynn wasn't at their level. No, like I said, I do have homework to do because even though I watched it regularly, my timeline was sketchy and yeah, because you're bringing I, up super crazy, and I'm like, what are you talking yeah. about, super crazy? Well, actually, actually, I, <laughs> actually, I knew he was out of the timeline, but the yeah, yeah, is, I yeah, I know you're doing the comparison. Comparison. Yeah, you keep doing that. We're going to have a two hour podcast. No, you're right. You're right. I this is this is what happens with Chris Zellner's podcast. That's why he has yeah, five hour yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, so, so back to that. So at the time, did you know about the? At what point did you hear that these guys were going to WCW? Eddie, Chris Benoit, and all those guys. I, to be honest, I think I heard about it like right before it was going to happen. Because it was something sudden. I know, yeah. like, I, it's so weird because I, I, I remember reading in the PWA magazine, they had it the month before they were going to show up on uh, on WCW for Nitro. Like, the when Nitro, before Nitro started, before right. WCW started Nitro. And I was like, how did they, because Pro Wrestling Illustrated 
if you ever read Pro Wrestling Illustrated, it was always like two months behind. Like it was like this oh, already. Absolutely. Yes, it was like this already happens. You throw it away. It's like this oh, happened. Oh, like, you want to hear? You want to hear something funnier? Before the dawning of like cable TV being in every home. Yeah. Before the internet know, and stuff like the that. internet videotapes. Uh, it was astonishing to learn something to even that far. Yeah. Uh, after because generally uh, you. You would hear about a major happening, including a world title change, usually three months after, because the only source that acknowledged it was the Bill After mags. Yeah, and I remember when I read that, I'm like, man, this is like an, it was an August issue, mm-hmm. and it's like, Nitro hasn't even started, and I'm like, so so I was going to college, so I went and checked, because at that point, you still, you had, I think you had, I think you had AOL, obviously. Yes. Grandstand, I think, was what it was called, right? The a- AOL Grandstand. Yeah, AOL. Every, uh, people like us had AOL, and the computer, the computer nerds <laughs> laughed at people like us. Oh, you use America, but I never. Like, but you know, I didn't. You, I didn't have an access. I didn't have it. But uh-huh. you knew that's where you would go to the forums. Right. They had forums, and then there was, I think, like Mikasa online onslaught or some websites like that or whatever the fuck they were called those those sites that were like news boards Mm -hmm. they were just starting up and they actually had that and i was like i was like dude i didn't i didn't even know these guys you get excited because you eddie girl obviously i had seen chris benoit he had been in and out of wcw in the past um and we're talking about chris benoit before you know the the murder suicide and all this stuff but um and and malenko uh Mm -hmm. malenko who he actually had actually been on WCW. I think he was on that um, tournament, one of those tag tournaments also. Oh, was he? Oh. Not that one, but one afterwards. Oh, okay. Um, where they were representing a country or something. It was him and Joe. Yeah. But you heard about these guys, and it's like, man, this sounds like a good... Oh, Sabu was the fourth guy. Sabu. and But Sabu, I mean, I thought, there's no way Sabu's going to go, because all the stories you heard about Sabu was like, he's independent. He's an independent. Yeah. You thought of him as a Brody type of character. Like, he's not going to sign with anybody. And oddly enough, he was like the first person that got a, a video feed, feed. Remember the one of the first the first Nitro mm-hmm. was when Scott Norton runs in to ask for competition, and Bischoff cuts. Oh, and he grabs Bischoff, and Bischoff cuts to um, cuts up. We'll get, we'll get, we'll we'll be back to the show. But here's here's another star that's coming to WCW. His name is Sabu, and they show you just Sabu doing all these flips. Yes. And I remember, oh my God, Sabu, because I had never seen the ECW at that time, mm-hmm. and I thought Sabu, this is awesome. Even without him doing the breaking table spot. And I thought that was great. And then I think the the next show was, uh, I think a couple of shows later was Eddie Guerrero. No, Eddie Guerrero did um, Saturday Night. Remember they did the they, they did a match, Eddie Guerrero, and I think it might have been Dean Malenko, mm-hmm. where the winner would get to face somebody on, on Nitro. And I think Eddie Guerrero won and he fa- ended up facing Benoit on a Nitro or something. Ah, okay. And so that, that, that kind of led to it. So Eddie Guerrero was really like the, and he was actually the first. I mean, Tito Santana was like the name that everybody Latino that Tito Santana. I got it all. And Mil Mascaras were the two guys that people always said, "Oh, those are." I the, got it all the time when, you know, I I started you know becoming known as the guy who's into lucha. Yeah, like so it was Tito observer, Santana in the Observer and stuff. Everybody would say, "Oh, I bet you love Tito Santana." Manny Fernandez and Mil Mascaris. Yeah, and, and you're like, I hate all those I hate guys. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I like Manny Fernandez every yeah, once in a while. Actually, I do. I, I I do like Mascaris just because he's so bizarre and complex. Yeah, uh, as a human being, not so much as a worker, but but you know, you get Eddie Guerrero and you 
like, not only is this guy Latino, mm-hmm. but he's from El Paso, Texas. Yes. And I grew up watching him from Juarez, Lucha. It was so like, it's like my homeboy. He was like, was yeah. There. And then, like, Dusty Rhodes would call him his homie from Texas. His homie from El Paso, Texas. So, like, it became, like, this huge thing. He was always on Saturday night, mm-hmm. which, is, which was, like, the show I would watch almost every weekend. Nitro, you know, I would watch. But I was going to, I was cutting, I was going to college at the time. So, you know, Nitro would always cut into, like, I had to record it and watch it later. But it was like, that was like the first guy. And then like, you figured, oh, they're bringing in this guy, you know, talent. You be, you, you you think of it as him being from New Japan more than anything. Yes. Like one of those guys that they brought in from oh, New Japan. Oh, he, he's a guy, even even when I would see him on Galavision and such. You thought of him as a New Japan guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he stood out. I mean, you see him everywhere. Yeah, so I mean, then... You see him on indie shows, just... So then like... In January 1996, there's a Nitro where Conan randomly shows up. Because remember, like, I think in October or November, they did one where Medusa shows up and drops the bell. Yes, the famous the WWF bell. crashing the bell. Yeah. So then, like, a month later or two months later, you have Conan showing up with the AAA title and I'm th- or whatever the title was. At, I think it's the IWC title or mm-hmm. might have been something like that. So then... Um, Conan does his promo like I'm the I'm the Mexican heavy. I think he just said he was the Mexican heavyweight champion. Which is Conan. A, which is a tradition in wrestling to yes. bring a Latino into a yes. promotion. I'm the heavyweight champion. Yes. In Mexico. But I, I liked how his rhythm because the way he, he had this rhythm for the promo where he would bounce like when he was talking. Yes, like oh. there was like this bounce, <laughs> and he was going to debut on Clash of Champions, and that's where Psychosis showed up. Mm-hmm. So then Psychosis is like the the third luchador that shows up in 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 uh, from that period. Because you think everybody thinks Rey Mysterio, but it was Psychosis who was the second person that showed up, and they actually had a pretty good match on Clash of Champions. And um, but that was actually kind of weird because you thought, what is Conan going to do in in yeah. in WWE? When you see they had a good match between Conan and Psychosis, yeah, yeah. If you can't have a good match with Psychosis, we're yeah. Well, then, <laughs> no, but but um, but but no, and, and I gotta say, when I was. Because I knew Conan, I was jazzed that he was in WCW, and I... They did nothing with him. <laughs> did not, and it's a shame, because that guy was great on the mic. My favorite that thing... Whole, I love the videos, too. I think that first year, they had him um, They had him feud with One Man Gang for the U.S. title. Remember they had the, oh God, yes. the, that match at, uh, <laughs> what was it, uh, Uncensored or something. And it was like, because 1996... And you know, it was weird, because while this is all going on, um, Eddie Guerrero had this great match with Macho Man Randy Savage on one of those Nitros. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it. I probably, you probably don't remember. Did, and I don't know why I wouldn't remember that because yeah. that sounds like a dream match. Really great match, definitely. If you haven't seen it, because Randy Savage had this great match with Benoit, and then he also had a great match with um, Eddie, and also Flair had actually Eddie, and I think it was in November he was going to have a match with Ric Flair, mm-hmm. and that was when Flair they were reviving the Horsemen. Yeah, this was in '95, '95, November 1995, um, and they had Pillman. Remember they had they had added Pillman. And they were doing the Pillman crazy character guy. And yes. Benoit had just been introduced, was barely going to be introduced as one of the horsemen. And um, and Flair was going to wrestle Eddie Guerrero. And I was like so excited. I was like, Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero, that's going to be great on Nitro. So what did they do? Ric Flair said he wasn't going to wrestle some Mexican jumping bean. So he had yeah. Brian Pillman handle his light work. And Pillman wrestled Eddie Guerrero, which yeah. I was perfectly fine because yeah. <laughs> Brian Pillman was fi- fucking fantastic too. So oh, I was, God, yeah. yeah, so I was okay with it. Although Pillman was doing the character, doing the whole the Four Horsemen crazy character and all that. But um, yeah, so then they had those matches. You thought, okay, 
I thought when they had Psychosis on, it was kind of like, okay, there's something weird going on. Although Psychosis, I think he did that one match and just didn't rustle again on a, on a, on a WCW show afterwards. What happened was they announced the cruiserweight division. Remember they did the, uh-huh. they did these shows. They did, they started, they, they were going to do a cruiserweight division. I think they did that like in August and um, no August on April, May, 1996, uh-huh. but they actually held the tournament. They held the final match in um, Japan. I think it was Malenko and uh, I think it was Otani that won the title. And then okay. Malenko won it. Afterward, when he came over here, he won it over here. But um, they did these video, these videos where they were announcing all these great cruiserweights. And they had the mysterious Mr. JL. Remember? Jerry Lynn. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I forgot and they had, that. Yes. Man, dude, you're forgetting. You, you guys start preparing for this. No, you're, you're, and, and this is why I want to emphasize again. Because... Uh, because we're, we're kind of covering just a portion of yeah yeah we're just a, yeah just a portion that's why I really I really do want to do some homework because one one of the you just dumped me with the super crazy stuff that's the only thing <laughs> and, and, and I didn't I didn't need you know I didn't intend to jump in time I but just, you used it to explain the the whole uh, yeah. the use of um it's Latinos. like it's like I would bet I would bet anything if they had Paul Heyman instead of Eric Bischoff. I bet you'd see several of at least a few other guys brought in immediately, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, and used properly. Yeah, um, and, and one of the reasons I, I actually, I, when I say research, I want to, I want to YouTube and read. But the thing I remember, at, I can't remember one, one, at which point I started watching Nitro religiously because I can't remember if it was from its inception or after it was gaining steam but there was a yeah. point where it's like every monday night if i couldn't see it i i put my at time my vcr to record it and it was it was the thing for a few years yeah so that video they had for the cruiserweights they would announce all these guys so they had um the the wcw guys which were eddie mm-hmm. d malenko benoit and i think they had brad armstrong on the list mr jl who actually had some pretty good matches on nitro yes. and on the weekend shows um I remember everybody's like, "Who's Mr. JL?" And it's like, "It's Jerry Lynn." It's like, it's like that's the easiest person to figure out. And then um, they brought, they announced the New Japan guys, which was Kanemoto, Liger, Otani. Um, I think they might have mentioned Takaiwa and all these other guys that were the, the the juniors of that era. But then they go to the Lucha guys, and it's they mention Rey Mysterio Jr. And psychosis and Juventud Guerrera, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" They're announcing all these yeah. other guys. I think Super Calo might have gotten a mention on that also. I, I don't. I think Jericho wasn't mentioned on that because Jericho came in in the summer of '96. Because mm-hmm. that, I think he came in like in August, around the same time that the the other luchadors came in. But that was like the, that was really the the beginning of the whole. Um, really, like when psychosis when, when that thing was announced, I think that's when everybody started realizing WCW was loading up on talent. Because mm-hmm. I think that was like that's when you realize, holy shit, they're they're the, they're not only using the New Japan relationship. But then they also were getting guys from the AAA promotion. And then you're also talking about, at that time, they were stealing or, like, raiding WWF at that time. Oh, they... WWF at the time. Because at that same time, that's when the Hall and Nash rumors started popping up, remember? Mm-hmm. And I think even Shawn Michaels was one of the guys that was rumored at that time, wasn't he? I never he? knew that. Well, he, I don't know if he was rumored at that yeah. time, but I, I know he turned it down. At, I do remember... But the Hall and Nash rumor was, like, started, like... I think that started, like, in... um might have been in January of 1996 when I first heard about that that stuff at that yeah, time. Yeah, I, I still remember being surprised when they came out because they, 
Yeah, because Hulk came in May 1996, yeah. and then um, Nash came in like a, maybe a week later. And I remember when Luger came in, I, I mean... Luger and I mean, the first episode of Nitro. Yeah, and what I remember is it seemed like, I mean, Vince already was somebody who was very controlling of his wrestlers and yeah. uh, having them under contract, but man, did he clamp down after that. Yeah, <laughs> what, the, whole late, the whole Luger appearance. That Nitro, that first episode of Nitro is like a must-watch... Like I was telling you, just because of the the, the Liger Pillman match, mm-hmm. the, I, oh, that was a great match. Luger appearing out of nowhere, the Scott Norton appearance, which was like all random, like him just getting all upset, and of course the 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 Michael Wall Street. Um, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think I think that's like, like of all the, of all the things that's like oh. the that's like the least important thing of all of it, and the Sabu video, and I think that was like, and you know that from that point forward it was just this amazing show, but it's like the Luchadors really. It was Eddie, then Conan and Psychosis, and then the, the poor use of Conan, where it was like, oh my god, at that point. And we'll talk about more about this. Yeah. I, like I was telling you, we should just do like a year, year by year, year by year, year, by year thing. I think that I think this is more of an introduction of, of like the WCW guys how, when they got there, and more or less. I, I don't want to make yes, it like because this. Not only is it a great story of the uh, the Luchadoras experience there, but. Uh, that was an era where I mean the whole WWF war was just was just the story of the decade. And you and we just did a podcast. We were talking about New Japan, um, mm-hmm. are trying to trying to compete with WWE, which is impossible. It's going to be impossible for them to do. And I think they're if they're real, if they're really going to do it, they got to look at the positives that WCW did, and that's really that '96 run where they actually they didn't they didn't just raid. Or pick cherry pick guys from WWE. Although I think Bishop would have gone. They had so much money, they would have probably tried to take in everybody at once from WWE. Yeah, and as much as Bishop did go insane and burn the territory to the, the ground, the talent they were collecting, the talent they were collecting, and it sounds like he did pay attention to what other promoters did. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of other stuff that goes in here, like the When Worlds Collide show that yes. happened because I think that happened '96 also, didn't it? Like in the summer. When Worlds Collide was not no no not when Worlds Collide the Wolf Peace Festival oh yes and I, that Festival. was ninety six ninety six yeah and that's a good because that's really itself. that's really where he also picked up yeah. guys like Jericho and and some of the other names that came along from that from that era for um, WCW but um, yeah after that really from Psychosis they announced the Rey Mysterio appearance I think and I remember because I had seen Rey Mysterio in AAA and I thought man this guy's mm-hmm. awesome but I thought he was small and that's like one of the things that Rey Mysterio talks about like. The first thing that people would talk about when, when Rey Mysterio first showed up in WCA was like, who's that? Who's the midget? And then Conan was like, well, give him, just give him a chance. You'll see what he's like. And, you know, they had Dean Malenko who was there. That was perfect. Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero were perfect for the Luchadors in, in, in well, many ways. Well, totally, just because, totally. Just because they could actually build a match and they could bring a lot of the Luchadors, the, the Lucha stuff. And that became what, what a lot of people like call Gringo Lucha. Kind of like the whole I love the term. American. Well, that's the Klein Rock term. That, that is a good term, yeah, actually. Yeah. Gotta, yeah, the Gringo Lucha, where you dumb it down to make it look I, like. Yeah, I'll be honest. I remember Conan told me about Rey Mysterio Jr. before I saw him. Yeah, he, he said there's this great wrestler, Colibri, which means the hummingbird. Yeah, and he absolutely told me this guy is going to be a star, and I was oh wow, and I saw him and. You know, they had him on a... <clears throat> I first saw him on an opening match on a Lucha show in a bingo hall in Santa yeah. Ana. And he was damn good for his, as as new as he was to the business. 
But man, he was tiny. I yeah, would say, and he's mini, right? You yeah, thought he mini, was mini. Tiny. And you know, before they really had mini the, that was the back size. In, yeah, that was back in the days where minis were, were actually short, short. Were actually short, short people. But um he was such a solid as not just flying the emphasis wasn't too much on flying, although he did that great. But just his mat work was solid and I did say, wow, he is small, but I do like him. And then uh, it was a few months later when uh, I actually introduced Dave Meltzer to Mysterio Jr. Uh-huh. He was at the uh, auditorio in Tijuana, and he wasn't working that night, so he's just walking around. He had shoulder-length hair and looked like a surfer kid. Yeah. And I introduced him to Dave, and uh, I said, Dave, remember that wrestler that uh, I was telling you about, Colibri? That's him. And Dave said... Uh, he's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> I, I know why he said it because yeah. he's so tiny, and and you know, no American promotion promoter was going to. Yeah, but but he said he he he's even small for a Mexican wrestler, and I said he's really really good. And then I remember uh, Conan later that night, uh, um, Rey Mysterio was just kind of hanging near him and and oh I remember when I introduced Conan to Dave Meltzer he said he said oh that's Dave Meltzer I thought thought that was your brother cause <laughs> yes 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 we had the both and then I said oh yeah is that, is that the is that the show you guys wore matching sweaters matching sweaters that's a matching <laughs> yes. sweater show the famous we gotta we gotta do you still have that picture yes, you gotta I send we'll, I gotta we'll use it for the that. for the we podcast we will post that that'll be the the podcast it's what, I can't believe I wore though well actually I know where I wore the sweaters because uh, uh, send me the link to it from your Facebook page or just send it to me later. I will I'll do yeah. that because uh, I. If, uh, <laughs> Elena loved the scholastic uh, college boy look, and that's when a lot of the college boys were wearing sweaters. So that's why I wore a sweater. This, this photo is basically you and Dave, and then Conan is like on like next to you guys also. No, actually, it's Onita. Onita, yes, yeah. Onita, yes. And then there's somebody else looking at like like, or is it Dave looking elsewhere? And I I made the comment when you post when it was posted on on your Facebook page. I said I said Dave is pointing at I think it's Dave's pointing, isn't he, at somebody? I believe so. Yes. And I said, look, Dave's pointing at another guy wearing the same sweater. <laughs> But that is like the that has to be the intro. That should be the. And I, and I told I told I told uh, Conan like like oh yeah we're los gemelos diablo. Yes. And I I also I also said uh, uh, this was before Emilio Charles got older. I said yeah. said would he be a good standard for Emilio Charles Jr. <laughs> and Conan laughed at that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was. I have no idea. I don't know where Conan thinks he looks like Dexter. Not like, even. Not even close. Not no resemblance yes, whatsoever. Yes. And the other funny thing, Johnny Legend was there that night. Yeah. And some some little eight year old kid runs up and uh, uh, says, "Santa Claus." <laughs> <laughs> and Conan says something like, "Get out of here, you little shit." I can't remember what he said. Something really dirty to the kid. That's hilarious. It was a shame because Johnny Legend loved it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, um. But yet. But yeah. That was uh, his first look at Ray at Ray Mysterio Jr. and. See, you met him back then. Think about it. When he made an appearance on WCW, how shocked were you that he made it to WCW? I was shocked, and I thought, 
Well, I'm glad he was able to go this far. But I think at that point he was already doing war. Uh, he did the War Super Jacob appearance and stuff like that. So. That's true. Yeah. Triple A and, and, and I think I, I think my thought at that time was, was wow, I'm jazzed. He at least came this far. He'll have some. We're gonna have to do. It. We're gonna have to do shows just dedicated to Rey Mysterio, just because there's so much. That would be good because it's really interesting, and a lot of the interesting stuff is before he was a star. Yeah, because I mean, I because remember- if you told me that he would eventually hold the WWE Heavyweight Champion, I'd say, yeah, right. You know what? We'll add. Not- we'll add. Robbie Hardy to this show and, and none of us will like we'll just talk over each other because <laughs> we all have, we all like have Rey Mysterio stories to tell we'll do but. that we'll do that verb that you created which is uh, even though he doesn't do it anymore uh, Melsering yeah yeah because Melser used to talk over people I know like, he's improved in that um, and, and I, I wish he'd start doing it again because I love how Brian would blow up that was a fun part of the show it says guys, guys stop, stop I can't hear you both at the same time but it's so funny because if you if you would have if you would have gone I, the first time I saw Rey Mysterio on AAA, I thought the same thing. He's a little mini. But yes. he was really good. I thought, oh, he's good, but he's a mini. Because, I mean, I know when people would ask me, like people who knew I was a wrestling fan, they're like, did you want to be a... Like, wrestling, wrestling people who... Like, fans, mm-hmm. Americans who didn't watch Lucha, they would never ask. But people who watch Lucha, they ask me, were you thinking of being a luchador? And I'd be like, no, I'm short. I, I, I'm too skinny and too mm-hmm. short. And they're like, no, you're, you're how tall? You're like five eight. They're like, yeah, you're perfect. I go, but I'm skinny. He's like, so is though, so and so. And like, oh, well, totally. when we go to lucha shows, I'm taller than half the dudes at the shows. It's like, it's like, it's like. Oh, it, there, there's even legendary guys like a, a Rosado Ruiz. Yes, and his brother. brother He's I, even smaller than than yeah. a lot of the guys. And, and that was back in the days. They had like featherweights, and yeah. they they drew. They, yeah, so they were like, like the big main event, but they did draw and. And they're very respected. And I, I know this isn't going to happen, but you know, my, my Mark wish is uh, I dig that they had so much emphasis on different weights. Like yeah. The welterweight. Well, see, I, I think they should do that with some of the minis now instead of having them be the minis division. Yeah, me too. Because they're, they're, they're not short. They're, they aren't. They're like regular size. They seem to grow every day. I'm expecting to see a 5'10 mini one of these Yeah, because they're, they're, like, they're, like reg- they're like maybe 5'3". Five yeah. two. It's like that. That's not. That's just the short Mexican. Exactly. <laughs> that. That's like in boxing. That would be what would that a bantam weight or something? Virus. Like that? They're not. They're, they're the same height as virus. Yeah. And he's he's working against heavyweights. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make. And and I I dug how both England and Mexico were the two places yeah. where they used different weight classes and it worked. Yeah. So so had Rey Mysterio gone from that point when I first saw him to WCW, I would have been like, oh, that's not going to work. Right. But I mean, by that point, he had already done like a bunch of stuff in AAA. He did the When Worlds Collide and then he did the the War Super Jacob, although I didn't watch that till like maybe a, a year or two mm-hmm. later. But I mean, at that point, he had already done enough where I think plenty of people would have seen him where he was a, like, it was a little more accepting. And really for me more, I was, I was watching AAA so I knew he, what he was doing. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was different. But like, and to get your for debut versus Dean Malenko, really, mm-hmm. I mean, you knew that was going to be, and it was a great match. Like his first match was a debut. Yes, his first two matches were against Dean Malenko, a cruiserweight title match. I think that both of them were cruiserweight title matches, back to back. I think it was the the Great American Bash and then the, the following Nitro. Oh, it's on the Great. I didn't realize it was on the Bash. Bash at the Beach or Great okay, American yeah. Bash? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, Great American Bash because it was the oh, wow. yeah it was one of those. It was in it was in. Should jo- be. I never watched the Bash at the Beach because I just remember each time that happened, people were saying I don't bother. Well, ba- the only reason I knew it was different because Bash at the Beach is when Hogan turns that year in '96. Oh, okay. Great American Bash is when um, 
Hall and Ash do the lawn, um, do the the power bomb to Bischoff. Yes, and yes. then um, Bash at the Beach is um, Hogan turning on um, turning on WCW. That had so much. Heat, no, no, no. I did. Okay, I take it back. I did see that. You did see. I that. don't know what I'm referring yeah. to. I'm referring just. I saw that all illegally. <laughs> <laughs> Those were, Alfredo that was back, a criminal. That's when you had black boxes and shit like so, that. So now we're going to bring back an old, uh, incorrect character from my childhood, Conan W. Frito. You are now the Frito Bandito. You know the, the thing. You was, know that was one of the most popular. Yeah, yeah. We've already talked about this one. We haven't talked about <laughs> it enough. We haven't talked about it enough. He had a song. It went like this. I, 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 I am the Frito Bandito. Yeah. I love Frito corn chips. I love them. I do. I love Frito You know how many people chips. are... I take them from you. Do you sing on Brian Lass's podcast? I haven't yet. Oh, boy, is he in for a surprise? I think, I think, I think is that's, he in for I think, I think if all those people that are following you now because of that show... They haven't heard you sing. They're going to start stop so, following I'm, I'm going to go from, <laughs> yes. uh, from, so, from all... 1,100 to, nine, to 800. To 800 to 600. Mm. I'll do like Conan o, o, O'Brien did on one of those shows where he's supposed to be on a like a telethon and he sings that song from Oliver Cunn, said to yourself, eh, um, Cunn, yeah. and, and you see all the donations disappear the more he sings. That's me. Yeah, I'm trying to... Oh, I also rate... Did the lawn dart incident? Remember I don't that? remember that. How do you not remember that? That I was don't, like one of the ma- when he gets thrown into the the mobile the and that's right because we even talked about it on the other podcast and you mentioned you you don't remember it. Oh wait wait was this when the NWO did the invasion the, the running yeah they got they they he's one of the guys who jumps in to save him and he, yes they he catch, him, catch him, him yes the yeah. lawn dart yeah but oh I I okay I know the inside I didn't know it was called the lawn dart <laughs> well I just call it that <laughs> that's the a great incident. Term. I just call it that. I don't know what what people call it. No, I thought I thought that was. I so didn't well think done. that. That's not an insight. Into what that. I loved. That's just what I call. What it. I loved was the way they did it. Is how Jimmy Hart, you know, who's a heel, yeah, is coming out and saying. It was a really bad nitro too, because <laughs> it was outdoors. Remember, it was in the yes, I do. But the, the invasion thing was done well. I loved how they had a heel come come to everybody, yeah. like even the baby face, and says. Hey, something bad's going down. I thought they, I thought they, because uh, I think it was during the tag match with Arn and and the Horsemen and and some tech babyface team were, were, were the yes, ones fighting. Yes, and, and, they, and they were the first ones that went and out they there. Had, they had uh, Chris Benoit being so crestfallen because they they, they had beaten down Arn. Arn yeah, <laughs> just the whole. I mean, the NWO ended up being. I mean, going yeah. from a great thing to a terrible thing. But when it was good, it was really good. Yeah, I think I think had they kept doing that. I think when they started adding more people, and a lot, every single promotion does this with every group that they create. They just keep adding more people. Yes. And it just screws it up. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, there was like... And then, of course, there's the Ray versus Eddie feud that we'll talk about on the next podcast. Um, but yeah, as, as Ray came along, Hooventooth followed. Um, after Hooventooth came Ultimo Dragon, who was the, the J-Crown champion. Yes. Or he had all those belts. Mm-hmm. Look, how many Absolutely. people? How many people use that as their? How many wrestling fans use that as their? As their uh, whatever their whatever their their, their back their then cover the, photo the, for whatever was existing yeah. for your website or whatever you use that. Worse yet, how many indie wrestlers have four belts on their shoulders? Yeah. So, uh, and when I say when I say indie wrestlers, I mean 
uh, indie wrestlers that nobody's ever heard of who does something that's a glorified backyard. Yeah, wrestler. and then there was Super Calo and all yep. these other guys, um, Hector Garza, Dandy, Silver King, uh, Vianos. We'll talk about all these guys because yes. there's so many of them that I wanted to do one. I wanted to just do a show where we would just introduce the idea of doing a show based on these guys. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And maybe you, like, maybe remember some of the stuff <laughs> that you forgot. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of stuff. And, like, yeah, I, just I, need my- I assume you didn't watch WCW Saturday Night because I remember when I first met you, you mentioned you had never really, you weren't keeping up with that stuff because Lucha was on at that time also. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing is I only have so many hours in the day. No, and then. If I, and if I had nothing to do, I would watch the WCW Saturday Night only because I thought it was a really well done. But, you know, the, the other thing, the other thing was Saturday Night was competing with CML at the time a lot, like Triple yeah. and CML, because they would switch it back and forth between being on Saturdays or Mondays at that mm-hmm. time. And, you know, really, what are you going to watch? And I would watch. I would watch WCW because to me, they were bringing the luchadors I wanted to watch. And CML had Val Venus and remember Steel. Yeah, and well, when and Headhunters. I, although I kind of regret not watching it. Although now I watched it on video and stuff like that later. Well, that's the cool thing. Yeah. Is it's past, but yeah, it's still you know great wrestling still lives on. on Norman's. YouTube. We could talk about Norman Smiley Definitely. on the next episode. He was one of the luchadors. The Big Wiggle. <laughs> we could talk about Chavo Guerrero Jr. Absolutely. The, the guy who was in the luchador. <laughs> <laughs> the American Gringo yeah. luchador who's not And some of the guys. random appearances like like um we were talking about with Superboy when he when him, Felino yes, absolutely and all these guys randomly showed up to throw um to put um Eric Bischoff into a dunk tank. Remember that? I the, remember the that water well. Tank. How about the night uh, it, and it was in Minneapolis. <laughs> Yes, but, you know, yes. as much as people like to shit on Bischoff, the fact he was willing to do that kind of tells you that guy was. No, it's true. He, he had some good stuff yeah. going on. It's just, just I think his his it's just the, he got he got big he got big uh, big head. Yeah, and he thought that, we were talking about the other podcast. I mentioned another promoter that has a bit absolutely. of a big head. There's another one. Yeah, and it's, it's just like you know you you know he came up with some great stuff, but that doesn't mean you're gonna come up with duds too. You have to realize yeah. that not every thing that comes into your mind is going to work yeah um oh or, or how about that when they had that one shot where viano four wrestled as antonio pena that's another one we were gonna, to, to, as tony pena yes as a spoof on antonio pena because uh, that was actually his debut i think that was that uh, viano viano in, in, debut viano in fact, four, right? that was the first time i saw him without his mask and the, and the reason i knew it was him because he had the yeah, he had the viano trunks. yes <laughs> i remember that and uh, i saw that i'm like is that when did he drop his mask i was like all shocked when did he drop his mask and it, it wasn't even that public well back then the internet was a lot sl- it wasn't oh, what God, it is yeah, now yeah, see see and even in mexico even worse oh, t- today it's almost it's almost like it, you find about if you find about things the moment they happen, well, like Tineblos, everything's on camera. Tinieblos talking about how he he did uh, movie appearances without his mask, and he's like, people don't know because, and I'm not going to tell you guys what movies they are. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> That's I was funny, like, but I mean, I think if you could figure out his name, you could probably find out what what oh, where he was. Absolutely, you know, that's Doctor Lucha's project. <laughs> well, well, I even remember, uh, you know, because in the mid '80s, you know, Doctor Jerry Graham, he you know, his heyday was the 1950s, and he'd want to do things that, you know, now you couldn't do where, um, oh, I remember on WrestleMania 1, Hillbilly Jim was supposed to appear, but he was injured uh-huh. and couldn't, and Jerry's like, well, just do what we used to do, is you uh, get somebody who looks like him and put him in the ring. And in the 50s, you could get away with that, because <clears throat> you said somebody was coming to town. 
chances are people didn't even see that person on TV. Or yeah. if they did, it was a shot that wasn't good enough. Excuse me, I'm choking on my own saliva. That's ah, what happens. Ah, ah, ah. <clears throat> no, but, uh, you know, they did stuff like that where if somebody no-showed, they would have somebody else use his name and, and maybe the hardcore followers would know. Or you couldn't do it like in Madison Square Garden, but yeah. in a cow town where it was a spot show. Uh, I mean, that's how Rock- Strangler Lewis got his name, is um, <clears throat> he was wrestling under his real name, Robert Frederick. Uh, Fred-, Fred Reich, I don't know how you pronounce it, but one night he... I think they thought he was going to no-show, so they had somebody else already wrestle as, under his name. So he arrived, and he's there. And so let's call him Strangler Lewis, because there was another Strangler Lewis in the past <laughs> who was famous. Yeah. And that's how it, it was born. But, you know, you, you can't get away with that now, because there's yeah. a camera on every... I mean, think about it. You post a picture of your friends on Facebook, and if they're a Facebook member, boom, they're tagged yeah. just by their face alone. Yeah. You know, there's so many things you get. Yeah, away my, my cousin's wife was telling me that she posted pictures, her wedding pictures, and she's like, she was saying, you ought, she's like, she's like, it was weird because I would, I would tag certain people, mm-hmm. and she's like, for some reason, it would automatically tag me on yeah. every single picture. And she's like, and she's like, you're not even, like, in some of them, you're not even, like, the main person. I wasn't going to tag you because it's just part of your face or part of your body, but it would automatically ta- tag you. And I'm yes, like, yes. I'm like, she's like, she's like, it must be, it must be your face that it knows you or something. I say, like, well, you know, it's probably because I'm on there and people post pictures. Like, I go, I don't know. It's like, but I think it's something that they, it's some sort of thing that they've already done where it's, yeah. It's I, I remember, I remember about a year ago, Carl Stern saying on one of his podcasts how, how, <clears throat> how stupid some of his fellow police are because people will capture something they do bad on camera and they think it shouldn't be admissible because they didn't have permission. And yeah. he, he says. They're so stupid to think that just because they're a cop, they can get away with that. And and he he then said, "Live your life like you're on camera, because you very well might be." And you know, I think not only is he correct, but I say, "Hey, Big Brother is watching, yeah. so put on a bitch and show, make yeah, it so, good," as Dusty would have said. So make we'll, it good. we'll we'll talk more about the WCW yes. luchadors, but we want to get to your Argentina Titanus. <laughs> Titanus in the ring, luchador of the week, because you keep you you, you said you were going to do this. You have a book on this, and I'm curious to see what the first person is going to be, and and if you actually did something, because I, I, you may have already forgotten to do. Well, it. well, one of these episodes, I want to do a a, a longer piece on La Momia. Uh, yeah, we could do like there's him. yeah, and there's been so many also. Yeah, but and that's that's one where I would actually want to do it on a day where I could do it a good, you know, good lengthy. Yeah, one because that that was such a, as a, as the train passes. Yes, <laughs> Charlie says the, love that good the famed, lady. The famed walnut kills. Or driving train. that train high on cocaine. Casey Jones, you better watch. Okay, your that's speed. enough. Singing. Okay, Brian, last I'll save uh, the next one yeah, for your save podcast. the singing for his podcast. Yes. Uh so this episode, I'm just going to briefly go over the very first thing I ever saw on Titanis and Ring. Uh, when I was 10 years old, that's when I started watching wrestling, and it was in the summer of 1972. And Dang, that's a long time a ago. A long Kurt. time ago. <laughs> and it's weird. My body's getting older, but my mind is just as... And it's weird. It it's weird. You could remember all the stuff from that era, but you can't remember the It's true. Yeah. It's true. 
I, I, I think my it's weird, mind like, started getting foggy after around 1989. But I think it's also because you that you were a lot. You had more responsibilities at that point. Yeah, exactly. Working, married, stuff like that. So it's a lot. You had it wasn't as easy. Whereas I was in college, so you know what my options were: college or wrestling. Yes, and you know what the obvious choice <laughs> exactly. was: fuck college. I'm going to watch wrestling. Yeah, yeah, and and also there was a lot less wrestling to watch, so you yeah. drink it in a lot more, and you know, and attend college properly. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did properly. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't very good at yeah. it, but you know, I. Uh, Kids, kids! If if there are any kids listening to this podcast, do what do the opposite we do because we are yes, horrible, exactly. horrible students. Do not imitate us. Yes. It won't. It won't. You know how much well. I I have to stay quiet when when my sister starts talking about to my nieces or even like other relatives. I have to stay quiet just because. I mean, I I was good student and when I was younger but as I got older I got lazier so it's like I can't really say much well, the bit, the biggest shocker to me uh, I mean in the long run things did bode well for me I yeah. <laughs> but what's funny is okay 1972 when wrestling was still kind of a niche thing to yeah uh, you know way before it was mainstream before they had uh, action figures and yeah yeah stuff like that uh I turn on wrestling and I fall in love with it. Mind you, my dad is a nuclear physicist who plays classical piano and loves folk music. My mother was a, a, a teacher who also studied ballet when she was younger. So, uh, you know, my my sisters and brothers straight A students. Uh, my sister. Professor of economics, my brother an attorney, another brother who's an architect. And you're uh, a wrestling fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wonder, the, the closest thing is one brother is like a woodworker, more the Tom Sawyer of the family, and I oh. was the family nut. But so, so here I am watching professional wrestling, yes. and, and they're trying to get me to come watch the Munich Olympics, and I'm saying I don't want to see somebody. You know, uh, do the deadlift. Look, this guy's pounding on this guy. Yes. These guys are fighting, yes. and. Uh, See, I was fortunate. I grew up in a, a Latino family. Right, exactly, had, where it was mainstream. Yeah, Lucha yes. was like, hey, you're watching Lucha. Well, 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 now, whenever I go to They my, thought it was weird, but it was like, it's Lucha. It's not, it is. And yeah. a lot, you had a lot yeah. of people in yeah, your camp. Yeah. I, I find out a couple of kids would be into it, but yeah. they'd lose interest at yeah. some point. But uh, now, whenever I visit my dad, you know, he's in a retirement home. And it's a retirement home with people like him who are who are retired professors, artists, scientists. When we sit at a table with people I've never met, the first thing he he does is he grins and says, my son's a professional wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) He he never has me ask to talk about my college education or or my clerical job that I do. He says, he's a professional. So I'm very tickled. But yeah. So it's 1972, and uh, you know I was a TV geek. I loved the TV guide, and I always be fingering through it. And uh, I soon learned that lucha libre was another word for professional wrestling. And so uh, there was wrestling in English on Saturday nights from eight to nine thirty, and then the same promotion, the Labelle promotion, had a show in Spanish on Wednesday nights. That's how I found out what Lucha Libre was. And I always noticed that when I watched wrestling on Channel 13, the TV guide, 
also had Lucha Libre on Channel 22, one mm -hmm. of the local Spanish stations. And so sometimes I turn it on during the commercials or one, once it was preempted. And it was wrestling for Mexico at that time. Uh, I wish I knew where it was. It definitely was not like a Reina Coliseo. Uh, it was TV. The, it took place like in a gym. Like you could see a basketball hoop in the background. <laughs> but a, a solid crowd. And uh, while I don't know stuff move for move, uh, the f first match was a one-fall match singles. The second was a tag team two out of three where there was... Uh, one team, they both wore identical masks. They looked like Jaguars or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they were wrestling, I think they're supposed to be like clowns, but clown, not masked clowns, kind of like a, a Pierrot type of clown from the 30s. Oh, like something okay. kind of nightmarish. Yeah. They really creeped me out. But it was good Mexican-style lucha. And uh, sometime in January, uh, during a commercial, I switched to Channel 22, and I see it's in a TV studio, although a large TV studio. The place probably seated a thousand people. Yeah, it's a lot bigger than like Memphis. Exactly, studios. exactly. And there's music playing, and I see a clown with a bouquet of balloons dancing to the ring. And I thought, oh, this is weird. Is this like some sort of halftime show or yeah? In between matches, something to you know for the kids to enjoy. And then he gets in the ring, he throws balloons to the kids, and this uh, guy who I think was Ararat, this big, bulky guy with this big handlebar mustache, comes in, and he starts beating up the clown. I'm like, whoa, that, that's, that's inappropriate, beating up the clown. But then I see the clown is a wrestling clown. Yeah. And I said, oh, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever... And I thought they, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a spoof on wrestling, and much, it, much like I was talking about Maximo. <laughs> exactly <laughs> on, yes, the other, yes. on the other podcast. What I thought it was is I thought it was just maybe a one-time show where they're making fun of professional wrestling, and so I turned the channel. I turned it on a little later, and I saw La Momia, the Mummy, and I thought this is weird. And I said this isn't right. I thought oh, they're just making fun of the biz. But slowly, I started like watching as much of it as I could because we had these other characters. We had Yolanka the Spaceman. Uh, not a spaceman, a space creature who... Uh, I mean, they were way ahead of their time. This was the first promotion I had ever seen. And I think it's the first promotion that actually had theme songs for the wrestlers to make their entrance with. Uh I know other promotions like Gorgeous George used to come out to pomp and circumstance and, you know, there was this kind of like March themes when wrestlers in Japan came to the yeah. ring. But this was the first one where songs were written specifically for the wrestling characters. And... Because uh, at that time, in the U.S., it wasn't being used. Uh, music wasn't being used. Right? Not at all. Yeah. In fact, the wrestling I grew I, up on, you saw the wrestler already yeah. in the ring. And, and the other guy just, would just walk in sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> About the only time I think they would That's show... That's how it should be nowadays. <laughs> That's right. That's right. In my, in my day, day, they had no music. I could make it great again, yes. you young bastards. No flips. No flips. That's right. Uh, the choreographed tumbling yes. routine is what it is. So, uh, yeah, I think the only time they show a wrestler coming to the ring, like when Raymond Dosa was there, and they'd show him coming to the ring because fans... 
would carry yeah, Pandosa like, yeah. on his on their shoulders to yeah. the ring. And that's what they used to do with you, also. Remember? Yeah, but it's because I passed out <laughs> after I blew up in the dressing room tying my boots. <laughs> so gradually, I just became obsessed with this new brand of wrestling because you had the spaceman who they'd show his his space capsule landing outside the arena late at night wow. yeah and they put in a lot of they put in some money to do that show also i mean yes yes you know for that era for that was, era yeah. i mean he was he was the closest thing to a vince mcmahon of that era and that is the guy who created titanes in a ring and that was martin cardigan who was a second-generation gen- Armenian. His parents fled the genocide in Turkey. And uh, he was somebody who got in, who became a wrestler in the 1940s, and it was an odd time because Argentina wrestling at that time was like 1970s WWF, where they generally used pretty large wrestlers. You know, the, they're, you know, unlike... Mexico and possibly other South American countries, they were focused on big men and, you know, usually doing kind of ponderous moves from what, from what I've been told. And he was a little dude and he was a really good worker when he was young, somehow got a foothold, you know, into the industry and actually had enough, enough, uh, clout at some point to insist that they bill him as the Armenian Martin Kardigan, and the reason behind that was the Armenians who fled the genocide and went to Argentina, people would refer to them as Turks. And oh. that's a real slap in the face because the Turks were killing the Armenians, yeah. you know, in mass quantities in Turkey. So at some point, uh, you know, he got that clout, and then eventually he pretty much uh, bought the promotion uh, from, I believe it was Man Mountain Zelezniak who ran wrestling for years and just ready to retire. And uh, they passed the torch. You know, Martin Cardigan was known for his big bushy beard and uh, so was Zelezniak and so they had a beard versus beard match. (laughs) And it was great. It wasn't just a shaving of the beard. When Cardigan would beat his opponent, they'd lather up the guy's beard and do yeah, an old-fashioned old shave. That's cool. Yes, it was great. And it was sometime in the early 60s when he just came across this idea of having a show geared, a wrestling show geared for children. And he started introducing characters like uh, Frankenstein. He had a vampire and I don't know when he first came across the concept of La Momia, the wrestling mummy, but that was that was the uh, gimmick that they're probably best known yeah. for. And it became like the most famous, the most character. famous, and the most imitated. I mean, that dude did an interview <clears throat> like years ago, and he was wearing a mummy outfit still at the time. Yes, I, I don't know if it was the same one, but I mean. Because they're they've had different versions. Oh yeah, so they like, had. Uh, but the fact the guy did a, a news featured interview and he was dressed as a mummy. A mummy, yes. I mean, come on. Oh yes, and they even did at the height of his fame. Uh, the mummy even did some photo shoot with some a model who was really popular, this drop dead gorgeous girl, and and the mummy Cheryl Teague. <laughs> oh, yeah, Cheryl Teague's groovy. <laughs> Cheryl Teague was like early 
early, early 80s, right? Shulte? That's right. Yeah, right. That, that's, how, that's a little late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little late. Yeah. The, the, I, oh, her name, oh, actually, I remember, believe it or not, I remember her name. It's Carla Iola. Oh. Brooke but, Shields was like 14. <laughs> yeah, and I gotta tell you, this one was a lot more beautiful than Brooke yeah. Shields. She was stunning. But they did a shoot with her in a bikini on the beach, and it was when Lamomia. He would never, not only would he never be defeated, people would not get offense in on him. He was yeah. like the unstoppable creature. And they did some, but they were playful enough about it where they did a photo shoot of him with this woman on the beach. And uh, they said the uh, the only person who could defeat Lamomia is the beauty no. of Carla Yola. Uh, and yeah, in the next episode, I'm going to go in depth about um, Lamomia, but Pepino. Yeah. The clown was... Is that who you're picking for this week? <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm talking about... Well, well, oh, you're I, just giving a summary of everything. Kind of a summary, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm giving a summary of what... I was like, I was like, man, what are, what are we going to get to this? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm almost okay. done. <laughs> but this show's going to be yeah, five for hours. Those of you, for those of you who's uh, who the whole concept of Tannis and Elring is not your thing, uh, I'm almost done, so don't you worry. Don't. No, forget. there's actually people who like that. I, I'm, and I'm I, glad I, they I was, do, because yeah. I thought it was very creative. Yeah. And it wasn't just a success on the wrestling scene. It was a huge, huge mainstream success. I, I mean, Martin Cardigan and several of the wrestlers in the troupe were like featured on uh, the cover of TV Guide magazine. I don't mean like one of those throwaway TV guides, the TV Guide that people actually subscribe to. And it was something that went on until I think the late 1980s. So early 60s to the late 80s, this promotion was wrestling. And it had numerous imitators in other South American countries. And actually in Argentina too. Uh, The oppositions in Argentina sometimes would have a good day in the sun, but they would never outdo the Titanes. So that's a quick thumbnail of how I discovered Titanis and El Ring and how it came about. And next week I am going to focus Kurt on... Kurt didn't do his homework. He didn't pick out one specific guy. I would just like to point that out. Yes. <laughs> I will do my homework this time because I want, I want to tell the story of La Momia and his impact and how he became the most imitated wrestler in South okay. America. So next Lucha Classica, we will talk about La Momia. Yes. We will talk 1996-1997 WCW yes. Luchadors. Because that's a really good period. That's when Ray versus Eddie gets... That's really when An the amazing, amazing feud. And they actually have a, a little bit of controversy where Eric Bischoff decides that he has to unmask Luchadors. Yes. And we also get the uh, more guys showing up like Super uh, Calo, mm-hmm. um, Juventus Guerrero. Psychosis is feuding with... He had a couple of matches with Regal around that era also. Yes. So talk about that. And then after that, we'll just go like 90... From that point to 98 with the other guys. Because there's actually more guys that start showing up as the... El Dandy shows up around that time also, so should be fun. Somebody they yeah. should have used yeah. more. Yep, and but that's another story. Oh, there'll be more to talk about yeah. also. There's there, there'll be more. We'll we'll probably go through a magazine and find some old stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Maybe some maybe some. Um, oh God, I was trying to think of that guy that I was going to bring up, but I forgot his name. So, but I, I'm sure I'll remember. Uh... La Momia. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about La Momia. Yeah, but this is going to be a show. Um, this is a free show. Uh, it's going to be a part of the premium p- 
podcasting for the show for the pod. This won't be on iTunes. The first show will be on iTunes, um, but the rest you have to go on Podbean, LuchaWorld.Podbean.com. Um, sign up. I'll put up the price for the podcasts going forward. We'll probably put a couple of few free ones every so often. I think these shows are shows that people can listen to whenever they want. It's not something that's uh, you could probably just order them once yeah. a month or whatever or be a, a regular listener. And with being a premium show, we are really going to put in effort to try. I did. Look at all the WCW. Absolutely. Episodes. Absolutely. Uh, if you could see this. And I think we're kind of distracted because tomorrow we're going to, um, this Sunday we're going to interview, um, we're going to try to interview a bunch of guys and. At in a, East at LA a, at uh, the Clay La Arena. Yeah, and we're just glad it's not <laughs> raining because I was worried if, if it rained, we would, oh, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't be, we'd be very uncomfortable talking to these guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm having a flashback of when we worked that, that show at the Rhino Records in Westwood. Yeah, yeah, and I was filming it and I was like... Oh. Yes, <laughs> Behind the, it was an outdoor show yeah. and the rain was just coming yeah. And I... I was so scared somebody's going to blow their knee out trying to do a high spot in the ring. Yeah, so we'll probably we'll have more on for the next show. This show it'll be like a bi-weekly bi- is it bi-weekly is that what it call it every two yeah. weeks? Every two mm-hmm. weeks bi-weekly? Yeah, the show was bi. Bi. So we'll do a Lucha World podcast. We're also thinking of doing um Slam and Stand bringing that back. Yes. But, but Slam and Stand's going to be more about American wrestling. Yeah, so nostalgic the nostalgia of American nostal- wrestling. Yeah, American wrestling like stuff we enjoy like Kirk can talk about Ed Strangler Lewis even, even further. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Olympic. We could do a special on the Olympic Auditorium, although I I, I don't know if I want to just do one special on because we could do it. We could then also... you're, you're never gonna get then you're never gonna get to talk about it again because you have that one episode. Where that's, you... right, that's right. <laughs> although I don't think maybe we... that's an episode where we could include Dan Farron. Yeah, and I think I think with... that's also something I'm planning on doing. I was thinking maybe of um, upgrading equipment and maybe figuring out a way to look, like record mm-hmm. get dark. Dr. Lucha on the show also. Yeah, that would be fun. That'd be Maybe a few other people on the show. Because I think, I think it's, 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 if we're going to start getting people to pay for it, I think that should be fine enough for us to like, put in a little more, yeah, that, that would, more effort into it. Absolutely. And you know, we wanted to get a variety of eras from the Stone Age. Yes. uh, To, you know, to the ghost of recent past. And Kurt will talk about the, the 19, 18s (laughs) 1918 1918 and and uh, yeah i'll still be working on my time machine yes go back and and this podcast would be a lot easier if we had a time machine that's right that's right but yeah this this should be a fun show hopefully everybody enjoys it yeah and so looking forward to hearing your feedback and hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh until next time viva lucha libre como le digo a mis compañeros y a mis amigos, más a los más caros, hasta la vista, babies. Uy, recuérdame, come frutas y verduras, que la sombra de Super Porky los cubra y los proteja. Uy.